0: Good morning. I was sure Colin was going to preach then about Reformation, but he, re- he withheld himself. Good self-control. Um, yes, guys, if you could just pass the offering baskets round, Colin. <laughs> so part of our worship is to give generously of our finances. So the, as the offering baskets do go by, please do feel free to, to put money in there as part of our act of worship. If you're a visitor, please do feel free to... Um, let the offering basket uh, go by. So just by way of introduction, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Al. I'm one of the elders at Gateway, and I've got the privilege of leading our other site in the east. Um, but I'm on day release again. sees seems to be happening more and more. So it's really great to be with you guys um, today. We are carrying on um, our series on this block of teaching through Matthew uh, chapter 5 through 7, or more commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount Uh, which is this long block of Jesus' teaching about what does life look like for those who are participating in God's kingdom? What does life look like for those who have said, hey, Jesus is my Lord and Saviour, and therefore I want to live in a way that Christ calls me to live like? Not out of any sense of I have to, or I have to follow some rules and regulations, but because when I know Jesus, I know he's changed my heart, I then want to live in such a way that honours the way that God calls me to. To live, That obedience comes out of our hearts being changed by God. And many people think that Christianity is primarily a religion of rules, primarily about following a set of moral behaviour. No, Christianity is about pursuing Jesus Christ and letting him change you through his Holy Spirit and out of that will flow Christ-like living. And so it's just really important that as we go through these sections of Matthew 5 that we're looking at right now, that we remember that God's kingdom is inside out. It starts with our hearts being utterly changed and transformed, and out of that flows a life that is lived for Christ Jesus. And last week, Kaz brilliantly looked at um, the, the section on murder and anger and reconciliation. She served us so well last week, so well done, Kaz. Thank you so much. And today I've got the nice light topic of lust and adultery, so I hope you're ready for a bumpy ride and enjoyed your extra hour's sleep last night. Do you know what? It's always disappointing, isn't it? The extra hour of sleep. I don't know why. It's like you feel... I think it's because you have such high expectations. An extra hour in bed, yeah. And you wake up and you think, I don't feel like an extra hour. Or the kids just wake up an hour early or whatever. Anyway, side point. Right, we're going to get into um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 30. It'll come up on the screen, hopefully. Um, I'm reading out of the NIV version. Jesus' words, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully or with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Strong stuff indeed. Let me just pray and then we're going to get into the scripture some more. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for your grace just to be upon us right now. Lord, even as we look at this challenging subject of lust and lustful intent and patterns of sin in our lives, Lord, I want to pray that you would come With your grace. I was just reminded in the worship of Jesus' encounter with the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And at the end of it, he says to them, he says to the woman, I can imagine he's knelt down next to her and she's full of shame and guilt. And he says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. I want to pray this morning that right across this room we would know the message is. Because you died and rose again, Jesus, you say, neither do I condemn you. Whatever it is this morning that people might be struggling with in life, whatever guilt or shame or area of sin they might be struggling with this morning, the message this morning is, neither do you condemn us. But you offer us freedom and life. But you equally say, go, leave your life of sin. You speak truth into us. But I thank you for your wonderful message of grace. Jesus says to you this morning, Gateway, neither do I condemn you. And for some, that, sh- that, that cuts to the heart of you because you're living right now in deep condemnation or shame, whatever it may be. Maybe you're here and you don't even know Jesus, but you're, you're racked with shame and guilt. And Jesus says to you this morning, neither do I condemn you, but I offer you life and freedom this morning. And from that, he says, go and leave your life and live differently. I pray this morning that your wonderful grace may flow over us This morning, Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We pray for your wonderful freedom to wash over us as a community, Lord, that we would know we do not have to perform before you because the verdict is already in and it says not guilty. And out of that, Lord, we get to love you and serve you and obey you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So this passage is directly talking about lust, lustful intent, adultery, but, and that's what we're going to be majoring on and focusing on today. But if you're sat there and you're thinking, well, that's not really my issue, it's not my battle, don't please just switch off for the next 25 minutes, because actually what this is talking about is how we get ruthless in fighting against things that do not honour God in our life, which the Bible calls sin. So whether it's, for you, it's anger... Or drunkenness, or slandering, or malice, or obscene talk, or pride, or jealousy, or lying. Actually, what we're talking about this morning applies to you, and actually, how do you get ruthless in fighting against the things in your life that do not honor and do not kind of give glory to God? But before we just get into it, I just want to ask the question and just put to you that there may be many of you in this room, some of you may be Christians, some of you may not be Christians, your view of the Bible's position on sex, sexuality, sexual ethics may be that it's so restrictive and so prudish and so outdated and so irrelevant in 21st century Britain that why does it matter what Jesus has to say on this? And actually when it comes... To issues in the Bible, this is one of those ones that cuts right against the grain of culture. This is major. You start talking about a message of sexual purity and what the Bible has to say about sexual ethics and sexuality and sex, it cuts right across culture. And you might be sat there and you might be thinking, why on earth does Jesus care so much about who I sleep with? Or why on earth does he want to reserve sex for in the context of marriage? Or why does it even matter if in the... My bedroom, I I click on pornography. Or why does it matter if you're walking down the street and you look at somebody with lustful intent? Who's that even harming? Why does Jesus care so much? Why does it even matter? And you may be a Christian thinking that, or you may be a non-Christian thinking that, and not a follower of Jesus. You may go, this is utterly irrelevant in 21st century Britain. Why is it that Jesus and the writers of the Bible have these parameters around sexual ethics? And the answer is because God has such a high view of sex and he understands its power and its beauty. He's a creator. He made us in his own image. He knows the things that are good for us and healthy for us and the things that cause us harm and destruction. And many people think that the Bible and God has a very low view of sex. Actually, that's completely untrue. God has such a high view of it that he says, these are the parameters around which I want you to use it because it's so powerful and so beautiful when used in the right context and so painful when used in the wrong context. I remember many years ago when I was at university, I was talking to one of my friends, and she's she's not a Christian, and just out of the blue, she said, every time I have sex with somebody... She says, I leave a little bit of myself with them. That's what she said, out of the blue, not prompted by me. And do you know, That's because the Bible says two become one, flesh. And actually, you leave a piece of yourself with that person. That's how she described it. And actually, the reality is that the Western church at large has been hijacked by the revolution that's happened in Western society of the sexual revolution, if you like. And we've been left a bit floundering. And our, and our response can either be a bit apologetic, well, let's not really talk about what the Bible says about that, or we can become very culture bashing. Oh, culture this, culture that, boo to culture. Isn't culture terrible? But I just want to say this morning that we have a better story to tell and a better message to tell to our world that actually Jesus wants to bring freedom and liberty in the context of the parameters which he set. He wants to bring life. And, and his, his ways and his boundaries and his parameters actually bring freedom and bring life. I, wanna, I want us to know, as those, if you follow Jesus this morning, that you have a better message and a better story to tell the culture around us. We have a message of hope and reconciliation. We have a message of, of comfort. We have a message of freedom this morning. And we don't have to sit there and be all apologetic and go, oh, What about what the Bible has to say about these things? We can be free to go, do you know what What I believe about Jesus is he brings freedom into all situations and he brings life and life in abundance. We've got to learn, I think, not to be those who bash culture, but those who say, hey, let me tell you a better way. Let me tell you, I've got a better story to tell you. You see, I think many people they don't mind some of the teachings of Jesus. When people say, hey, you should share with those who have less, people might go, yeah, I'll go along with that. Or we should love other people. People can go along with that. But when it comes to teachings around sex or money, this is absolutely a dividing line in our culture between those who are participating in the reign and rule of God and those who aren't participating in the reign and rule of God. Yesterday, I, I met with my old university friends for the first time in... Uh, just over a year, and since I last saw them, I've, I've now become full-time working at Gateway. And they were just asking me a bit about, why have you become a pastor, as they called me? What's that about? And, and the only way they could rationalise it was that I was doing good things. It's the only way in their minds they could really understand it. Oh, you're just doing good, you're helping people. And, and they could understand that. But had the conversation turned to sexual ethics, or what does God want me to do with my money, I think it would have taken quite a radically different turn. Now, as it was... They talk more about me helping people. But actually, when you start to talk about sexuality and sexual ethics and what the Bible has to say, you very quickly come up against rubs in culture. People go, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. But you talk about loving people. wow, that's okay. Jesus is teaching on that. It's okay. And it is a dividing line because our culture, as in every culture, since sin entered the world, worships at the altar of sex and sexual gratification. In our culture today, you don't have to spend too long watching TV, looking at magazines, watching adverts, to see a culture which is very obsessed with sexual liberty in a way that does not uphold and align with the Bible's view of it. We live in a culture where 70% of men and 35% of women watch pornography on any given month. And I suspect the statistics probably are much different inside the church as they are outside the church, if I'm being honest, I can't prove that. I'm just guessing. We live in a culture where 90% of our children have had access to pornography by the time they're 16 years old. 90%! Parents, I want to hear that as a parent. If you're a parent here this morning, you've got to engage with this kind of thing and start talking to your children about, hey, we live in a very sexualized society, kids. How do we talk about this? What does the Bible have to say? The average age of exposure in this country to pornography is 11. That's the kind of culture we live in. We live in a culture where Fifty Shades of Grey, those of you who have heard of that novel, is the fastest-selling paperback of all time. 125 million copies sold worldwide. It is an absolute sensation, not because of its literature, because by all accounts it's pretty terrible writing, but because it speaks into the heart of culture about this sexual liberty, sexual fantasy, which people are lapping up. But the reality is, it's not a thing that's out there, and that's what Jesus is saying this morning. It's not an out there issue, it's an in here issue. And the reality is, I I would bet my bottom dollar that everyone in this room at some point has struggled with lustful intent. Maybe your battle isn't adultery. Maybe you haven't physically committed adultery. Maybe you have, and the message this morning is Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, and there's freedom and forgiveness and grace on offer this morning. Maybe your battle isn't pornography. But maybe your thing is reading erotic literature or flirting with a work colleague so that you get this kind of emotional buzz in your body. Maybe you let your mind wander into a kind of fantasy world of things. Maybe you watch programs on TV that you know aren't healthy, but you just can't quite say no. Maybe you wish your spouse was more like the person over there because they're just a little bit more attentive and your mind starts wandering. You see, lust is one of those issues that actually cuts quite deeply into who we are. And it affects deeply, I think, all of us. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus talks about it, because it's a dividing line. Because it affects many, if not all of us. And the last reason I think Jesus has such a big big deal, and the Bible writers have such a big deal to say about it, because the Bible teaches us that sexual sin and sexual immorality actually impacts our own body. See, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. Flee from sexual immorality... All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. you are bought at a price, therefore, honor God with your bodies and Just by way of illustration, recent scientific discoveries have shown the chemical effects of watching pornography on the brain. Research says this, Neurological research has revealed that the effect of Internet pornography on the human brain is just as potent, if not more so, than addictive chemical substances such as cocaine or heroin. Internet pornography does more than just spike the level of dopamine in the brain for a pleasure sensation. It literally changes the physical matter within your brain. That's quite astonishing. And the Bible says sexual sin is against your own body. And 2,000 years later, science tells us sexual sin affects your body and your mind. It literally changes chemical pathways in your brain. And the Bible, that's why the Bible wants us to be pure. Because actually it knows the harmful effects of, of wrong sexual desire. And it knows the freedom and liberty that comes from sexual desire that's in the right place and worked out correctly and correctly. Appropriately. And Jesus clearly tells us, doesn't he? He said, This isn't about a physical issue about adultery. He says it starts in here, in your heart. It lurks in your heart. And that's where sin actually lurks. It lurks at the door of our heart, waiting to entice us in. And James puts it like this in chapter 1 of the book of James each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. You see, sin, in whatever format, it looks enticing and attractive. Pornography looks attractive and enticing, but it will chew you up and it will spit you out. Reading erotic novels may seem like a bit of mindless fantasy, but it will destroy and impact your relationships. Flirting with a colleague may feel satisfying and it gives you a flutter inside, But it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Because after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. And you see, because sin, in whatever context, and maybe it's lust or maybe it's the other things I mentioned at the beginning, is a heart issue, it requires radical solutions. Radical problems require radical solutions. And Jesus says, doesn't he, as we read in the passage, chapter 5, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body body than for your whole body to go into hell. Better for you to go and throw away novels that are unhealthy. Better for you to turn off your internet. Better for you to throw away your smartphone, if that's what it takes. Better for you to not go into that shop. Better for you to walk away from a situation. It's better for you, and you enter heaven that way. Much better than be in the dangers of the fires of hell. And Jesus is obviously not talking literally. There were not lots of people in first century Israel walking around with one eye and one hand, but he says, this is serious stuff, and it requires serious action. It requires real change, and we've got to get serious with it. And there's just two things I want us to to land on, really, for say, what does it look like for us to get ruthless in cutting off the things that do not honour God in our lives? Whatever that may be in your life. And the first one is about our beliefs, and the second one is about our behavior. Because behavior always follows our belief. Behavior always follows what's in our heart. So the first thing to get ruthless with sin is this, change your God. Sin is ultimately an issue of worshipping a God that is other than Jesus Christ. I'll be more satisfied by X than I will be by pursuing Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what sin is. And the substitute for sin isn't trying really, really hard to not sin or to feel really, really, really guilty and ashamed because you've done something. The answer is Jesus Christ. The 19th century preacher Thomas Chalmers said this, Such is the grasping tendency of the human heart that it must have a something to lay hold of. The only way to dispossess it of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Don't concentrate on beating sin. Concentrate on filling your life with love for Jesus Christ. Concentrate on fi- allowing God to change your heart. Concentrate on loving Jesus. And sin will be overcome. You see, the danger of sin in any context is what it does is it makes me go, I've done something, I deserve, me, I don't deserve, I've done this, I feel guilty, and you get into very much me-centeredness. And the answer isn't about looking inside yourself, the answer is looking to Jesus Christ, because on the cross, Jesus Christ defeated every sin under the sun, past, present, and future. His atoning death covers you. Thanks, Jude. His atoning death covers you. His sin's mastery is broken on the cross. Jesus has defeated it. He has defeated it. You do not therefore need to be subject and give in to temptations to sin. We can walk free because Jesus has paid the price. We can walk free because Jesus has paid the price. No matter how deep-rooted your sin No matter how guilty or ashamed you might feel this morning, Jesus' death covers you when you're in Christ Jesus. Every online click of pornography, every lustful gaze, every moment of anger, every piece of slandering, every piece of gossip is paid for by Jesus Christ in his death for sinners. When we understand the depths to which Jesus went to and the fact that he has set us free, that is the place from which we fight sin from. And we concentrate on filling our hearts and our love for Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And the other thing about sin, what it tends to do is it causes us to withdraw. You see that in the Garden of Eden, when Adam sins, Adam and Eve sin, they hide from God. And that's what sin does. It causes us to withdraw from God or withdraw from others. Yet when you look at the life of Jesus, people that were stuck in sinful patterns were actually drawn towards Jesus. Sexual sinners, deviants, outcasts, they drew towards Jesus, knowing that he would say to them, I don't condemn you, but actually I want you to change. He wasn't a preacher who, who condemned them, but he wasn't a preacher that would let them stay the same either and he knew that people, as people approached him and they ran towards him and they lent upon his mercy and his grace they received his mercy and his grace and then he said hey because of that now you can go live differently and i just want to encourage you this morning if you're stuck in patterns of living that you know do not honor god the answer isn't to back away and withdraw the answer is to run to jesus christ and on his mercy and pour yourself at the foot of the cross because jesus christ has defeated it this morning And you may be here this morning, and there may be issues in your life. You go, I've tried. I've really tried to break free, and I don't know how to. And sometimes the Bible says there can be strongholds in life that need breaking. And if that's you this morning, we would love to pray for you that God would break off strongholds, of patterns of living and patterns of thinking that don't honor God. We'd love to pray that for you, that you you would know freedom, and you'd be able to walk in freedom this morning. So that's the first thing, change your God. And the second thing is this. Change your habits or change your behavior out of your beliefs and your understanding of God and who he is and the gospel and its wonderful liberty and freedom. Change the way you live. And you know, this won't be effective if you're just trying to do this without understanding the gospel and filling your life with love for Jesus Christ, first and foremost. Otherwise it becomes about effort and effort and striving. No, it's out of the grace of God. That we have grace-driven effort and grace-motivated effort to change the way that we live. Let me just give you a few ways that in my marriage with Sarah, that we fight for purity. I just want to be really vulnerable and really real with you guys right now. We have to fight for this in our marriage, right? We have to fight for purity. And I hope I'm not the only one saying that when you're preaching. You're always very aware, like, hey, is this just me? But I don't think it is. We have to fight in our marriage for purity, And we have to fight together. And God's given me Sarah as a wonderful gift to fight with. And I'm a wonderful gift to her to fight the good fight of faith with. And if you're not married here or your partner's not a follower of Jesus, I just want to say, would you find somebody that you love and that you trust? And would you walk that journey of life with? And be vulnerable and real, not because you have to be, not to heap shame upon you, but to bring freedom and liberty and love. Here's some things that we do particularly in the area of sexual purity, but it might not be that thing for you. Do you know when Sarah's not around, I don't turn the television on after nine o'clock? I won't. I just won't turn it on. There are novels that Sarah won't read because she knows it's unhealthy for her. There are TV programs that we've got halfway through and just gone, do you know what, we just need to stop watching this because it's not edifying. It's not uplifting. It's not actually causing healthy patterns of thinking. And the last thing is this. We talk a lot about this, We ask each other how we're doing. We don't go, tell me every thought you've ever had. I think that would actually be unhealthy. I think you probably would agree. Actually, but we say, hey, how are you doing in life? How are you doing in that area of sin? Maybe it's lust, and lustful attempt. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's a uh, patience issue, whatever it may be. But we talk. And you know what? One of the things that I love is because we had... We talk much about life and things we're battling with. When it came to my birthday last year, Sarah bought me a DVD set. But before she bought it, she went online and she checked out the content of it and she said, Hey, is this going to edify Al? And do you know what? I love that. I love the fact that she wants to honor me. Sounds like my phone's going off. <laughs> Awkward. Hopefully, it's not the guys in the East saying, Where are you? <laughs> Who is it, Colin? It is Sarah. It's Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> She knows, she knows I'm talking about her. <laughs> she can tell she's got. Who's, who's, who did she send as a spy here? <laughs> but I love the fact that because we have an open dialogue about this, actually she wants to honour me and I want to honour her. And I just love that. I think that's, I think that's healthy and freeing and, and actually brings life into our marriage. And if you've never talked to your spouse about some of your battles against sin, whatever that may be, I want to encourage you to do that in a way that's healthy and helpful. Find some time, find some space, or find a friend and just go, hey, I just want to talk to you about some of the things in life that I'm finding I find I'm struggling with right now. And it's not to be heavy-handed or forced, but it's like, no, because I, because I want to live a life. And I know that I can't walk this journey alone. I can't walk this journey alone. And maybe your thing isn't sexual purity. Maybe it's you need to avoid gossips. Because you can't help yourself when you're around them. Maybe you need to get rid of every drop of alcohol in your house. Maybe you need to walk away from situations when you get frustrated. Whatever it is, get ruthless. Fight the good fight of faith. Put to death the things that so easily entangle us. Switch off, walk away, don't go there, confess, be accountable, pray, read the word of God, forgive quickly, do whatever. It takes, because God's grace empowers you to live a transformed life. God's grace empowers you to live a transformed life. We're just going to come into a time of response now. I just want to land with this quote by John Piper, who I've used this before, I think here. I haven't preached anywhere else, so it must be here. And I just found it so helpful when we're thinking about fighting and contending for the things of God. John Piper says this, The distinguishing mark of saving faith is not perfection. The mark of faith is not that I never sin. The mark of faith is that I fight. I fight anything that dims my sight of Jesus as my glorious saviour. I fight anything that diminishes the fullness of Jesus in my life. I fight anything that threatens to replace Jesus as the supreme treasure of my life. Anything that stands between me and receiving Christ. Can I just invite you just to stand? We're just going to come back into a time of worship, and then we're going to share communion uh, shortly as well. And we're just going to come back. The song we're going to be singing is a song by uh, David Crowder Band. It's called Come As You Are. I just want to invite you this morning, wherever you're at, maybe you're here this morning you say, I don't even think I believe any of this, but actually there's issues in my life I, I feel so wrapped up in, I don't know what to do with, come to Jesus this morning, maybe for the first time. Maybe you've walked the Christian journey for many years, but you know there's there's issues. Maybe they're small issues of the heart. Maybe they're things you're really stuck in, you don't know how to get out of. Come as you are this morning and allow Jesus to transform you. As we share communion a bit later, we're going to have the opportunity to pray for one another and and just to love one another in that way. But right now, as we sing this song, I just want to encourage you to examine yourself before the Lord and say, God, uh, where are the areas in my life that don't honor you? And I want to run towards you this morning. I don't want to run away. I want to run towards you. I want to run towards your loving embrace, your grace, your mercy, your power, your forgiveness, your transformative power. And maybe you haven't run towards Jesus for a long time because you're so scared of the things you're carrying. And Jesus says this morning, I don't condemn you. You're welcome at my feet. You're welcome in my presence this morning.